0: Welcome back to Outdoors with me, Lawrence Gunther. On this episode, we're going to start off with some information from Lily on how to feel awe. You know, like not awe, too bad, but oh, cool. We could all use more awe in our lives. I'm going to follow that up with a recording of a question and answer session I participated in in Vancouver at the Festival of Ocean Films that aired a short documentary I produced last summer the question for the panelists had to do with is fishing sustainable and for our reflections i'm going to play the audio track of that five minute short documentary because it offers some thoughts on what it means to fish sustainably and for the fish to be sustainable as well you know that whole idea of one health we look after the fish the fish look after us come on lewis let's go find lily
1: Did you know?
0: Lily, spring's not that far off. Do you have any tips in the meantime to help us get through this last little bit of winter? I don't think I can do it.
1: Frankly, I can't do it. My, I I, I can't.
0: You're giving up. on I, I can't make it. Oh my it. goodness. We need to get you some chocolate or something quickly.
1: It's so bad. I need, I need summer to happen, like yesterday.
0: Yeah. I think I lost my tan.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, you wore that pink shirt today and you looked like a, like a white Easter rabbit.
0: <laughs> we well, really an Easter.
1: <laughs> yeah, people have been saying you can try and nurture everyday awe.
0: Aw, like aw shucks, or mm. aw, like that's too bad, or what are you saying here?
1: No one has ever said aw shucks since fifties. <laughs> <50s. laughs>
0: I heard that a lot on that TV show.
1: What TV show? Well, the Andy Griffith Show. What? What's that? Aw shucks, gomer What's the end? Oh, oh yeah, I was right. before your that. time. Go ahead. Yeah, no. So it's uh, neither of those. I'm talking about a feeling of like, wowed, you know? like ah, you, wow, you know, like wow, you know, like you know, taking your breath away, being all excited and that stuff. Well,
0: know. I like when I catch a big fish. I know that feeling. Mm. I know that I have it all the time. Every time I go fishing, wow, that's a nice one.
1: Okay. Um, no, researchers have long studied the boost that awe provides to individual well-being. So it lowers stress to increase happiness, but insight into all pro-social benefits are particularly crucial now at a time when the world's most urgent problems, you know, from climate and dwindling biodiversity, Mm -hmm. all the bad stuff, will be addressed only through collective actions sustained by strong communities.
0: Yes, lots to make us feel worried going on out there, that's for sure.
1: Uh, yeah, so seeking awe doesn't need to mean, you know, ever-sized moments that come, you know, once in a lifetime. Mm-hmm. So in his book, uh, Dasher Keltner, a professor in of psychology at the University of California, Berkeley, thinks we should think smaller. He identifies eight categories of experience as a primary pathway to awe. These wonders of life, as he describes them, include bite-sized encounters with nature, music art and movement which is like dance and sport he says that each day presents opportunities to cultivate awe and it's up to us to seize the moment
0: do you have a little more detail on what we need to be aware of to really appreciate awe?
1: keltner says responding to awe is very intuitive so people around the world do them just as part as being human we dance together, you know, we make music, we tell stories about morally inspiring stuff, he says. We just have to return those simple practices to our complicated modern lives.
0: I like this, you know, to stop looking at the world through our objective senses and start to feel the world a little bit through our other senses, through our heart. Oh, yeah. Does he offer any other suggestions? Keltner offers
1: three ways to do that. So, number one is to go outside. In 2015, a group of Keltner's researchers found that focusing on nature for a single minute can trigger the positive impacts of awe. After spending 60 seconds looking at a grove of eucalyptus trees, study participants showed increased generosity and helpfulness. Other researchers have found similar effects after participants sat in a local Arboretum for 15 minutes.
0: Well, you know, every time I walk along the river, the Rito River, and mm. the, uh, the the white water rapids there, every time I hear that white water, I, I always have this feeling of, oh, look, listen to that sound. <laughs> and there was only like two days this winter where it was frozen over.
1: If you're adding awe-triggering nature breaks to your daily routine, maximize those benefits by playing mindful attention to your surroundings. So that means putting down your phone, pulling out earbuds, and turning in the sights, sounds, and smells that surround you. I agree with that. So number two is come together, I guess. For some, thrashing at sweaty punk shows offers a kind yeah. of transcendence. <laughs> oh, you say that as if you do that. Uh, well, you don't even that. like standing in the crowds at Blues Fest.
0: I used to go to the Liar. headspace in Liar. Toronto when I lived just up the road. I was a big fan of the mosh pit.
1: Mm-hmm. No. No. He makes me stand at the back of the Blue's Fish shows because he doesn't want to get too close to the front.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. Well, look, I was dancing with uh, with the young Blood, and I know he was yelling at me to jump a little higher, but that's only because I was taller than all the little kids in the show.
1: All the little kids? Who, I don't think you know anything about this guy's music if you think there are little kids there.
0: No, I know. He was, he was quite interesting. He
1: yelled specifically at you because you weren't doing anything.
0: <laughs> I, I so
1: sad. <laughs> So anyway, <laughs> others prefer shouting along with the crowd at local sporting events. So both are examples of what the French sociologist Émilie Durkheim termed collective effervescence, mm. a.k.a. moments when we find ourselves moving and acting in sync with those around us. Mm. Keltner says these instances provide a powerful source of awe. Through moving in unison and convergence in feeling, a transformation in consciousness occurs, he writes. We shift from an egocentric view, seeing the world through our eyes only, to a shared attention to what is transpiring. You know, like try community dance parties, pilgrimages, jam sessions, religious services, political rallies, uh, pick up basketball and uh, don't dad doesn't take this advice but you know the mosh pit
0: the mosh (laughs) i'm too old for the mosh pit though but you know what fishing you're left fishing off that list because when you're out there fishing and you feel the whole world around you and it's so spread out because you're out there on the water that's it and then you catch a fish it's it's totally awe inspiring it's
1: not no but you have to connect with other people it's about being with people yeah it is that's true
0: for sure i understand yeah this one's about fish yeah
1: So, okay, number three is consider moral beauty. So, noticing others' kindness, courage, and uh, perseverance can spark awe, too. This manifestation of the phenomenon is a reaction to what researchers call moral beauty. Reflecting on those qualities can be powerful. Take a moment and think about someone whose life has really brought you personal inspiration and meaning, Keltner says. You could know them or not, examples of human inspiration proliferate in our personal lives and also abound in newspaper stories and literature. In the book, Keltner describes a former gang member who felt sustained by the strength of characters he encountered in a jailhouse copy. Of Shakespeare's Julius Caesar. I somehow... That's really surprising to me because I know the characters of Julius Caesar. Yeah? None of them are very inspiring. No? (laughs) The the book ends by all of them stabbing Caesar 90-something times.
0: Oh, yeah. Goodness, yeah. Yeah. That's that's a good book for a convict to read for sure.
1: (laughs) Focusing on such moral beauty can be an important part of an everyday awe practice. And while happiness researchers aren't usually big on the benefits of social media... Keltner notes that in our increasingly digital lives, even Facebook and Twitter can be fodder for awe. So enjoy some vindication for those feel-good memes that circulate in the group chats. And if one moves you, pass it on. We want to share inspiring stories, he says. We do that intuitively, and I think it's a good thing.
0: Well, isn't that what you and I do with this podcast a lot of the times? You know, I think it's a it's a great idea and I hope, you know, it's also promoting some awe amongst our listeners and maybe you know some positive mental health benefits as well. Yeah. You know that podcast we did about the whale sanctuary, that just got posted to the whale sanctuary website.
1: Thank you, Lori Marino.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Keep up the great work, Lori. That's yeah. awe-inspiring for sure.
1: Outdoor Adventures. Welcome. Uh, I'm Christiane Wilhelmsen, uh, my pronouns are she, her, and I am the executive director at Georgia Strait Alliance. Uh, this is the first time in nearly four years we've been able to host the Festival of Ocean Films in person. So um, that is very exciting.
2: Uh, my name is Lucero Gonzalez, and I am the biodiversity campaigner for Georgia Strait Alliance. And I am very happy to be here with you today. Um, and we have a suite of amazing panelists, that are going to facilitate a discussion about the films and
0: about anything else that they might want to talk about. <laughs> uh, Lawrence Gunther, uh, founder and president of Bluefish Canada. So we're all about water quality, fish habitat, and the future of sustainable fishing. We got into this because there's about 6.9 uh, million Canadians, according to Stats Canada, that buy a fishing license every year. Uh, There's a whole bunch more who are under 18 that don't need to buy a fishing license. There's a whole bunch who are over 65 and most provinces, don't need a fishing license. Um, There's a lot of people who just go fishing. According to Stats Canada, about 17 million Canadians consider themselves to be anglers who have a fishing rod, maybe in a cottage somewhere, or a cabin, or their closet, and they will go fishing. Maybe they'll buy a license, maybe they won't, but they do live fishing. So here's some more information. According to the Great Lakes Fishery Commission, the value of the freshwater fishery on the Great Lakes is nine and a half billion dollars Canadian. About 300 million of that is made up of commercial fishing sales. So where does the other 9.2 billion Canadian come into play? It's the recreational anglers on what they're spending every year to go fishing. Hotels, restaurants, boats, fishing gear, tackle, bait. But they don't even know the value of the fish they're catching. What are they catching and letting go? What are they catching and keeping? So it's it's a hugely unknown and undervalued fishery. It's the most valuable freshwater fishery in the world. I have the privilege of chairing the Great Lakes Fish Health Network. And we're working hard to make sure that those fish are safe, that those fish are happy and, and living Free of toxins and stress brought about by environmental uh, conditions, and that the people that catch them can and nourish their family with them and continue those strong traditions, indigenous and non-indigenous alike.
2: And I wanted to go to Lauren. How are these generations leaving the power to the younger generation?
0: It's a, it's a really good question. And I'll tell you a little story: there's a friend of mine, he runs a, a very popular um, research laboratory at a university that I won't name and he comes to me and he said, Lawrence, he said, I got a problem. He says, most of my undergraduate, many of my graduate students who are studying fish biology have never caught a fish. Mm -hmm. They've never been really connected in that fundamental, real, sort of authentic way. And it shows in their research papers. It shows in the way they present. It shows in how they structure their methodology, their hypotheses, and it just undermines their credibility. And I think when it comes to becoming an advocate, when it becomes, when you want to speak on behalf of a a huge, powerful part of this earth, which is largely silent, the whole underwater world, you need to have a connection with that underwater world. You need to form that personal connection. And the sooner you do that, the stronger it'll be. If you leave it too late, it'll just become a, a kind of a bucket less, you know, I did it, yeah, good, check, move on to the next experience. But if you do it at a younger age, it'll become fundamental to who you are. And then you'll really get it. You'll get it in a profound way that you can't get from watching YouTube videos or reading books or just talking about it. it and you'll be more likely to really stand up for what nature needs and less likely to take those, you know, well, it's the economy versus the environment. And we know who always loses in that decision, right? So
1: I have a question. I've been at impact five the whole week as well. And a theme that keeps coming up is that we need to involve the local community and also local fishers in management if we want management to work. Um, But I'm a scientist, but I'm also a fisher. And even coming from that perspective, sometimes when I walk into situations and conversations as a scientist, some of the fishing community like still doesn't want to trust me, and there's this huge barrier of trust that I feel like no one really knows quite how to get past. So since I've got a panel of people who are both fishers and also working on the conservation and management side, I thought I would ask, what is all of your opinion on some of the best ways you have found to be able to increase trust between fishers and scientists, conservationists,
0: uh, managers, so thank you. It's a great question, and it really comes down to sharing information. In Ontario, for instance, we have a system where we the province is broken into different zones, and in each zone there's a, a, a working committee made up of the stakeholders. And these are the people that sit down and with the scientists share the information, uh, direct the scientists to go back and do more research in certain areas to find out. The, you know, the real answers to the problems they're seeing in, in the world out there. You know, when you're out there all the time on the water, you see things, you observe things, you, you you wonder why is that happening? And that's really important for the scientists to hear that. And then the scientists can actually get the support of the fishing community to help them with that research. Because the number one biggest problem scientists have is finding fish. They can test water, they can sample the air, the soil, the weeds, but helping them find fish is really, really challenging. So you got to have this connection between the two. And once you have that, once that information starts to be shared and it's factual and it's evidentiary, then decisions can be taken. Okay, this has to be shut down, this has to be cut in half. And the complexity of the fishing regulations on the recreational side are so immense and they're so specific that you would think this is not going to work. There's no way it's gonna work, but it works because people understand why they're doing it. Because the information is being explained and shared and they're having a chance to decide on are they gonna take this approach or that approach? So they have a, a choice in terms of how to implement the science in the best way that makes sense to them. And they buy into the solution right from the very beginning. Now, recreational fishing is, is is lacking in one major area. And that is, we have no idea how many fish are being caught by recreational anglers. I think there was an estimate by Statistics Canada, 169 million fish caught in 2015. Uh, Two-thirds of those fish were returned uh, back to the water. The others were harvested. We have no idea the value of the fish and the, the different species of the fish and the size of these fish that are being caught and, and that needs to also be documented. And I think once we understand that, once we understand the, the important role, the harvest of wild fish is having it in, in food security and ceremony and society and uh, and, and sharing, it, there'll be a lot more attention given to this. I, I was walking around impact five today as well, they were in the exhibit area to see who's there and what they're talking about. And, you know, I, I don't have the luxury of being at the whole conference all week. I've been reading a little bit about who's presenting and the presenters and the topics and such. And I've kind of because, you know, in 10 years, or well, the 10 years we've had Bluefish Canada, since we founded Bluefish Canada, we've made a lot of progress in bringing together environmental groups and um, anglers, people of interest in the same subject, right? Accessing nature, being in nature. But there's still this huge divide. And and just looking around impact five, I don't see like a big number of stakeholders there. You know, people that have a lot of concern about what a marine protection area is or what a indigenous conserved and protected area is. To a lot of people in in Canada, a lot of anglers, these things represent uh, another barrier to access. And we're seeing that all up and down the west coast of Canada, where there's barriers being thrown out left, right, and center to generation after generation of, of recreational anglers, people who have guided for many generations, people who make a living running resorts and lodges and tourism. It's a $10 billion industry on the west coast, recreational angling uh, in the marine area. You know, and I told you about how big it is in the Great Lakes. There's a lot of mistrust about how these marine protection areas and so forth are going to be managed because they're not at the table. Does that mean they're automatically out? They're not going to be part of this. There's a lot of mistrust. Where's that interface
1: between all the freshwater systems?
0: Productivity
1: is coming from these these freshwater and the protected areas and the freshwater spaces. So I was just wondering, uh, specifically, I know uh, Lawrence is working in the Great Lakes area. He could sort of speak to protection
0: for our um, fresh water? Yeah, Nature Canada has proposed a, um, a national marine conservation area. I'm working with Nature Canada to help them understand what it would take to set uh, one of these national marine conservation areas up on the eastern basin of Lake Ontario and the Bay of Quinte. I'm talking to a lot of stakeholders, like commercial, recreational anglers, processors, guides, scientists, um, sociologists. Um, there's the list just keeps going on and on. And what I'm hearing is a couple things. One is the angling community is really worried that this is going to mean they're being banned from fishing in waters that are very, very, you know, productive. And I'm telling them that we're committing, and Nature Cat is committing, that this is not going to be an anti-fishing operation. But they're worried. And when I brought it up with the, uh, the chief of the Mohawk of Bay of Quint, I asked him about it he pretty much kicked me out of his office. <laughs> he said, there's no way he's gonna let any government put a circle around his water and his territory and impose rules. And I heard, I heard that today too from some indigenous uh, folks at the uh, Pac-5 conference today as well. They're very concerned about people coming and imposing rules. So there's only two um, National Marine Conservation Areas on the Canadian side of the Great Lakes. So there's five on the American side so far. The two on the Canadian side, there's a little bit on the uh, west end of Lake Superior and a small bit on uh, Lake Huron. You know, given the, the value of the Great Lakes, you know, 20% of the world's fresh water, the biggest collection of fresh water in, in the world in terms of surface area, the most valuable freshwater fishery in the world, you know, 40 million people get their drinking water from the Great Lakes. There's a lot of um, lot of things going on in the Great Lakes that we need to protect that. And we need to understand that. We need to get the stakeholders involved. And, you know, time's slipping wide, but not much has
2: happened so far.
1: So let's thank our panelists for being
2: here. Good evening, everyone. Uh, my name is Graham Perry, and I am a director and cinematographer based in Hamilton, Ontario. Uh, most recently, I've been working with uh, Water Rangers, which is a nonprofit here in Canada that <laughs> builds accessible tools for community-based water quality monitoring. My film Bluefish is actually part of a series that we... Produced over 2022, called The Ripple Effect, uh, which highlighted changemakers and communities that, um, that are leaders in the community based water quality monitoring world. Uh, Bluefish centers a passionate angler and sustainable fishing advocate, Lawrence Gunther, uh, and explores his unique connection to fishing and the water, as well as how anglers and fishers uh, are actually at the front line of protecting the water that sustains them. We're actually really lucky to have him as a panelist tonight. Uh, so, we, we filmed this in one morning uh, on the St. Lawrence River at the, on the first day of walleye season uh, at like 5 a.m. It was really cold and really windy. Um, so, I really hope you guys appreciate the hard work of to do that we into it.
0: When I'm on the water, my world expands. There's no walls, there's no ceilings. There's nothing to shut in what I'm hearing, what I'm sensing. My place in the universe becomes very small. I've been fishing all my life. I went blind when I was eight, but it gave me a really good sense of both how to feel What's going on underwater and to visualize what's happening in those spaces that so many of us have no idea what's going on. I'm Lawrence Gunther, I'm the founder and president of Bluefish Canada. It's a charity about water quality, fish health, and the future of sustainable fishing. I realized there was a need out there to teach the next generation of outdoor enthusiasts how to fish responsibly, how to fish sustainably. People are worried about fish. We need to get good information out there so people have the knowledge, the knowledge to make the right decisions. We're standing down here on the shore of the upper St. Lawrence River in Cardinal, Ontario, right next to a giant cornstarch factory. I mean this factory is just huge and it's one of many giant factories that stood along the shore of the great St. Lawrence River over the last 150 years. There's been a lot of ecological damage done to the river as the entire Great Lakes. We need to know about this, we need to share this information. We need anglers to be the leaders, to be citizen scientists, that's a vital aspect of of being an environmental champion. You know, anglers want to play that role, and anglers can learn, too, how to observe water. We're always doing it, but we don't necessarily have the tools to properly document. I I love fishing. I love being on the water. It gives me a sense of peace. It gives me a sense of the ability to, you know, Find for my family, for my community, to connect with nature. I want to be able to share what I've learned and I want to be a voice for others who have that knowledge as well and who have those stories. There's a lot of great things going on out there, person by person, fish by fish, shore by shore, and we can all learn from that and be inspired by that. me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or visit me at lawrencegunther.com to keep up to date on my blogs and videos. Subscribe to get the latest episodes of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther by visiting your favorite podcast provider. And please take some time to rank us and give us some comments. Send me your feedback, suggestions, and questions on email at feedback at ami.ca or on Twitter at AMI-audio. I want to thank Nazrin Abdel Majid, the manager of AMI Audio, Zandy Frank.